0: Okay, so to pull you all away from the Olympics, no doubt you are all. I don't even know what's on this evening, but I'm sure there's something good. It's amazing. Never in my life would I ever watch some of these sports in a million years. I couldn't ever see myself watching synchronized swimming. But all of a sudden, you know, this is quite fascinating. You know, it's one of those funny things synchronized swimming, hockey, field hockey, even surfing, skateboarding. I don't know why skateboarding is an Olympic sport now. Apparently, Apparently, we've got an Olympic tri- training uh, establishment at the center on the Village Green. We are c- procuring the next Olympians. Um, so, even though my kids say that's where all the druggers hang out, apparently, these are potential Olympians. So, we need to judge them more favorably. All right. So, last week, we started off with the Amida. We went. Uh, we're We're going to finish off the first blessing. I'm sorry this is going to be a bit slow, but I think the, the goal is to... Uh, to be able to appreciate a lot more meaning in our adhavening. Alright, so let me just share a little bit with you. Alright, so as you can see, this is the sidur as we have it in front of us. And we are going to be on, we got all the way up to this. Ooh, huh? There we go. So, last week we got up to, we talked about, just for a recap for those who, who missed it, we talked about Elokeinu, Belokevotenu. Elokeinu, our God, the God that we've come to through our own relationship and our own um, thought, Belokevotenu, the God of our forefathers for areas where we not necessarily have been able to achieve or we are not necessarily the places where we, we have certain doubts. So in, when we have those doubts is that we hold on to the sorry, hold on to the tradition. And we said, Avramit Yaakov. Each of them had a unique relationship with Hashem. That, and that's why the God of Abraham was not necessarily the God of Yitzhak nor the God of Yaakov. And then we ended by saying, we were from two verses in the Torah that Moshe refers to Hashem as And that was uh, one area. And we saw from brashit where Melchizedek comes out to Abraham and that's what he calls Hashem. And we quote to the Talmud. The Gemara in which comes and says that uh, when we are, you know, we cannot praise Hashem. Hashem is beyond praise. What what am I going to say that's going to be sufficient? So therefore, we have to use previously known texts that Hashem has allowed Himself to be praised through, and those were the verses from the Torah, and those are what we use. Okay, carrying on, we said Gomel Chasadim Tovim V'Koneiko. So. Well, gom- gomel chasidim, so Gmilut Chesed, Gmilut chasidim, which you be familiar Gomel is to do chasidim, chasid, kindness. So, Hashem does kindness tovim. Chasidim tovim. So what does it mean, chasidim tovim? Isn't chesed by definition kind? I mean, that's, in fact, is, uh, sorry, isn't kindness by the de- definition good? You know, this is the uh, concept. When we talk about the concept of being kind, it's doing something good. So how do we understand Gomel chasidim tovim? So seemingly the idea is as follows. The word Chesed, and this is important, the Rambam at a number of different places talks about the concept of being uh, the golden golden path, so to speak. And the golden path uh, is the middle path, that one should not be an extreme in personalities, one shouldn't be overly uh, spendthrift, but one shouldn't be too tight. One shouldn't be overly lazy, but one should be uh, not overly too active. And it goes through all different character traits. So, chesed, in its core, is the concept of giving. And so, when we do chesed to someone, so, you know, chesed is to help someone out and the like. So, to give over or to give to someone is something that, you know, is kindness. But an extreme of chesed, and that is chesed that is not in the interests necessarily of the recipient, but rather in the interest of the beneficiary. And that is something that's, so for example, where with children, at times you have got to do something called tough love. Now tough love is a fact that we want to give, but we don't give. Why? Because they're not giving this child... In for them, will be far greater than giving to them. Now, if I were to give to them, would that be chesed? Yes, it would be chesed, but it wouldn't be a chesed tov. It would be a chesed, it's not tov. And that's what the concept of G'mel tovim, that when Hashem does good to, for us, it's for our own benefit. It is something that is good for us, even though perhaps superficially it might not necessarily look as good, but nevertheless, it is something good. And that's why chesedim tovim. So this is based on the whole concept, which we look of, uh, we learn initially from um, two people in the, in the Gomorrah, Rabbi Akiva, me one of them of Gamzu is that everything is for the best. Latovah doesn't mean something's going to be pleasant or enjoyable. It just means that for the ultimate good, this is what needs to happen now. So even though as I look at it in a, you know, in a very narrow sense, it doesn't look good in the long term it's good. And that's why the Chesed of Hashem is a good Chesed. Okay, v'koneh So v'koneh over here. This means now I'm just going to have to share something else as well. Okay. Um, okay, so I'm just going to quote. This is this is all ideas come from a book called Netziv Bina. I started quoting it last week. So it says, tovim, bnei adam yocholim rakli, tovato." We can only try our best to help one another. By doing kindness. In Ayat 10. Eitim. Hatova hii meduma. But sometimes that good. There's, there's a type of here. Yeah. Sometimes that good. Is an illusion. Rak hako ya la. Gimol chasidim ka'ele. Hashem mamash la tova. Ve'en ra karucha Okay. So this. Apparently the copying. And pasting here. Didn't come down. But it, it, in essence said. That when, when Hashem does good. It's a proper good. When we do so. Now it says. V'konei hako. So there's a beautiful idea that comes over here. So Konei means Hashem. Literally Kone means to acquire. But everything belongs to Hashem. So it says as follows. Elyon. So we say Hashem is beyond the... El Elyon is high on highs. And owns everything. So it says. So in those two ways we are sort of highlighting the greatness of Hashem. That Hashem is Konei he has everything, and he's uh, el elyon. But then again, Guma tovim, and he does good kindness. and he remembers the chesed of our ancestors. It says, So, let uh, I me mean put that in uh, in layman's terms. Is that? one of the theories of the relationship that Hashem has with the world is that God came, created the world, and now Hashem has somehow taken a step back from the world. And that, albeit that Hashem, there is Hashem, there is a God, everyone agrees within this world of philosophy, everyone agrees there's a God, but God, you know, what, do you think God's worrying about me? There are seven, close to eight billion people in the world, and Hashem really cares what kind of food I eat, or if I turn on a light on Shabbat, or anything. There's, Hashem is too, is, is too far removed from me for it to, to matter in my life. And that's what the idea is coming here. So on the one hand, we have Hashem is Kone'a Kol and El Elyon. And Hashem is, is more powerful. So Hashem is the most, we we'll call it a, quite an extreme example. Hashem is the greatest leader of the, of the world. Is the most famous celebrity ever. And you would think, with someone who's that great, you know why, where do I fit in It says Gumel Hasassedim tovim it says that he does care to you that there's a personal relationship that hashem our understanding of Hashem is Hashem has a personal relationship with all eight billion people in the world and even though hashem is so great that what I do matters and hashem cares about me and and that idea is as in this first uh, this first blessing. As we are coming to recognize who it is that we are trying to direct our prayers towards, it's understanding that even though Hashem is so great, nevertheless I can have a personal relationship with Him. So that is what the idea of zocher chastei avot. Sorry, of sorry, of Then it comes this idea again. Now, throughout the Torah and throughout our davening, especially we're going to see it a lot over Rosh Hashanah and Kippur is we have this idea of, uh, you know, the Avot, the importance of the Avot. So, in Davening, it's usually Avraham, um, Yitzhak, Yaakov. We don't generally mention the Imahot. And that is uh, something which the more progressive movements within Judaism try to correct. And even even within the Orthodox world, where they might put Sarif uh, Karachal as well. And... Um, but leaving that to aside for the moment, is there's this concept that the Avot somehow that Avraham, Isaac, and Yaakov were somehow more, you know, very important, and we keep mentioning them all over the time, all over the place. So what was so unique about Avram, Isaac, and Yaakov? So clearly, one thing that we don't believe is they weren't the greatest prophets. So firstly, they had no following. Avram had two sons; one went off the derech. Isaac had two sons; one went off the derech. Yaakov had twelve sons, and that became B'nai Yisrael. But when we to look to leadership of who was the greatest leader in Jewish history, so there's no question that's, Avram, uh, that's Moshe Rabenu. Moshe was our greatest teacher. And our greatest uh, military leader was Yeshua. Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov were just family men. So what exactly was, you know, is the schut avot? So the key to understanding, you know, and why this comes at the blessing, is that Avram, Yitzchak and Yaakov were developing a faith system in a world that was completely pagan. There was no support whatsoever. When Moshe Rabbeinu came around, there was this thing called the Jewish people. And he might have been the greatest leader. There's one thing to be a leader within a people. And uh, and to have the following and to be able to do stuff with, uh, with the people. But there's another thing to be able to actually create a people. That Avram, Avram lived in a world where there was you know, there was no such thing as uh, monotheistic morality. So there were people who believed in God, and that we know because we know Noah believed in God, and and there was Adam and Eve, and there were a number of different people believed in God. But when Abraham comes along, is that is in the aftermath of the Tower of Babel, and there's corruption, there's moral corruption everywhere. And Abraham grows up, according to our, our rabbis, he grows up in in an environment... That is pag is, is completely um, invested within paganism, immersed within paganism, and Abraham rejects that. And it's an incredibly lonely existence to be able to f- create a relationship with Hashem where everybody else thinks that you're crazy, and that's where unique is Abraham. Then to not only do that, but to pass it on to his children, and for them to pass it on to their children, that in those first three you know, generations, there was something very unique that had molded what became the Jewish people. Now, just as an example, and I I say an example, I mean quite a distant example, is there's Eliezer ben Yehuda. So, I don't know if people know Eliezer ben Yehuda. So, he's the modern father of uh, of Hebrew. That Hebrew is something that was always learned, studied, but... uh, why do we say at the time of the destruction of the temple, even way before the destruction of the temple, even in the time of the end of the first temple, Hebrew was no longer a, a spoken language. It was always moved over to Aramaic and other languages, but Hebrew was no longer a spoken language, not since the time of the prophets was a Hebrew a spoken language. So uh, Eliezer ben Yehuda came along and said he's going to redevelop the Hebrew language for this uh, fledgling state that will become a reality at some point beyond his uh, lifetime. And it wasn't enough that he did it. But he, he made his children speak Hebrew and only Hebrew, which, which you know, when you raise your children in a language that you're sort of developing yourself as you go, trying to make up words along the way to try to fit into the world that you look at, which is very different to a Tanakhic existence, um, it makes you to some degree um, strange that, you know, all these kids, are, these kids, you know, the Ben Yehuda family, you know, I can't imagine the kids have many friends because no one spoke Hebrew. Now, Baruch Hashem, you know, I don't know, 100 years later, more than 100 years later, um, we are the beneficiaries of, of, uh, of his efforts. But it was a very lonely existence. And that idea that everybody is, you know, a pagan, and you say, no, I, I believe in Hashem, that is chasdeyavot That remember the Chasdeyavot. Now, chasdeyavot to remember the, the kindness of the forefathers. So, I think there are a few things. Number one. So this is ideas that we've mentioned. Um, so, so he remembers the chesed, the kindness of the forefathers. And he will br- is bringing goel, the redeemer, to their children's children. So Hashem, who's in the middle, he looks back to the beginning, so to speak, of the hu- of the Jewish existence of the Hebrew people, and that is the chastei avot. He remembers, not the kindness that they were kind, but the um, chastei avot, the kindness of the avot, the, uh, that, that, the, that they were these individuals, that that is where our heritage comes from and will bring a redemption to his people now this is encapsulating the entire Jewish existence from the beginning of the Jewish existence until the end of the Jewish existence that is what this line is come to say is that Hashem you know is over all of it who may so it's not that an Hashem will bring the redemption but rather may hashem is bringing the redemption so if we look to, um, and to get to into a bit of esoterics here, when we look to the concept of the messianic era, um, or the end game, however you want to play it, is that it's not a fact that the world is happening as it's happening, and one day there will be a redemption. One day there will be a Mashiach. One day everything will be worked out. Is that everything is part of that process. That everything that happens... Um is part and parcel of this divine plan, so when we say there was just, is parenthetically, uh, let's um talk about something that's a little bit controversial, not controversial in our circles, but controversial in the world of Torah, and that is uh, in the prayer for the state of Israel, and uh, many people don't say the prayer for the state of Israel because of Allah and says Smichat that we bless the state of Israel that is Rashid, the beginning Smichat the flowering. Gulatenu, of our redemption. The state of Israel is the beginning of the flowering of redemption, meaning it is the beginning of redemption. We are, we are at the end of days, and the, uh, and the state of Israel is the beginning of that process. So someone will say, you never know when the beginning of the process is until the f- process is finished. So that's the logic. And I remember hearing from a number of Maharedi Rabbanim says, you know, when, when Mashiach comes, then we can say, ah, oh, that was the beginning of Mashiach. You know, so it was 100 years ago, 200 years ago. But until such time as you know it, you can't know when something starts until it's after the effect. Others want to suggest, no, what are you talking about? Everything's out de gula. Because every time we are, this is the beginning of redemption. Mashiach will come at, at some point. So in one year, two years, five years, 100 years, whatever the case might be. And this is part of that process. So we are in the beginnings of that process. Beginnings doesn't mean at the start. But I'm definitely not there yet. So I'm mean, somewhere along that process. And the state of Israel is just something significant. And that is all that the blessing is trying to say. It's not that the, the state of Israel is Mashiach. But rather the state of Israel is something significant happening in Jewish history. That we acknowledge that we are getting closer to the end. And that's what it says. Umei viguel that Hashem is controlling the entire world. And is bringing redemption closer. One other point I want to just mention on uh, on this concept of chastei avot. So, there's a, a concept that's brought down in a cultural psychology called uh, a cultural heritage, or social psychology, called a cultural heritage. Cultural heritage is an idea that certain people, that people that are brought up in a particular culture, a particular environment, will share certain character traits. So, that, in many ways, is what we call stereotyping. But the idea is that the, the cultural traits are not necessarily negative or positive. They're just, they are. So Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in one of his books called Outliers, where he talks about in uh, in Korea that the culture, and I don't know this other than from the book, that in Korea, the um, the culture is that, You do not talk, you do not initiate conversations or criticize your superiors. So the idea that everybody has opportunity to voice up does not exist within Korea. So he uses it as a platform to talk about uh, about pilots, that a co-pilot would never question the actions of the pilot. So even if the pilot was making terrible mistakes, he he would never question them because you don't question authority. So I've wondered for a long time what is the concept of Jewish cultural heritage. So I've come to a number of of uh, conclusions. One of them which I think is as Jews is uh, that and I think it's hard to argue that it's not just is the idea that Jews don't don't like the victim status. Even though we have been victims for pretty much the entire of our uh, last 2000 years of history, we've never allowed the victim status to handicap us and to f- cause us to fall and, and spiral downwards into social, um, social dysfunction. There have been throughout, our, you know, we, we have struggled like many other uh, groups within society. But you've always had within the Jewish community education. You've always had a drive to, uh, to improve their lot. There has never been significant numbers of the communities as a whole that have been dysfunctional. And I believe that is something that is a cultural heritage that we brought out of Mitzrayim, That even though we suffered for 400 years slavery, at some point we, took, we left slavery far behind and created our own destiny. But I think there are certain elements that come from the Avot and that's the Chastei Avot. The Gemara comes and says, if, any, if you meet someone who's an Achzal, if you meet someone who is, uh, it's not even callous, it's completely cruel. You meet someone who's cruel should check after the lineage. Now, this is something that perhaps is not politically correct because the idea is that Jews should not be cruel. But what the Gemara, I believe, is saying is that it is your cultural heritage to show compassion. And that's something that uh, we see throughout the, the world that, that, so, that Jews are disproportionately represented in social justice, justice initiatives. That, but if there's cruelty check the person's yichus Because if this person claims to come from Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and they show cruelty to their fellow their fellow human being, so it's a sign that there's some blemish in their heritage. And that's what Zohar The kindness of the forefathers is our cultural heritage of compassion, and uh, and that is something that should, um, should work in our stead. Okay. Carrying on. So let me just, Alright, so we've so we've maybe So Laman so for his namesake. So this concept of its namesake is something which we spoke a little bit about last week, and that being the idea that Hashem doesn't need praise. Okay, so none of this section is to praise Hashem because we think Hashem's great, and Hashem says thank you so much. I wasn't so sure. The whole concept is understanding that the the, the purpose of creation is to build that relationship with Hashem. So, Hashem is the focus of creation, not man. If man was the focus of creation, it would be about indulgence. But Hashem is the focus of creation. And man's uh, ability within creation is to appreciate um, Hashem and to build that relationship. So, that is where man's, uh, man starts here. So, this is based on a verse... So it says, "Leman Shmo Bi'ava." So from Pirkei Avot, it says as follows: "Koma Shabara Kolish Baruch Vodo." Everything that Hashem creates in the world, "Lobara Elich Vodo." Hashem created it "Lich Vodo" in order to, for His honor. He quotes a verse: "You know, Kolad Nikrab Ishmi." Anything that's called in My name, "Vlich Vodi," and for My honor, "Barativ Yartzativ Asativ." It's all been done for that reason. "Boomer Hashem Yemochol Olam so this whole idea that Hashem created it for His honor means as follows that when we do something great in the, in, in the world, so what do we call it in Judaism? We call it Kiddush Hashem. Kiddush Hashem means to sanctify the name of Hashem. So to understand the process. So you have a guy who's a, a person who's Jewish and they do something very spectacular in the world. Well, people look at them and say, well, wow, they did something spectacular and they're Jewish. So that is not a Kiddush Hashem. A Kiddush Hashem says they did something spectacular because they're Jewish. That is their Jewish values. It's not he's a mensch and he's Jewish. He's honest and he's Jewish. She's kind and she's Jewish. It's the fact that their Jewishness is the thing that makes them great. And why is that Kiddush Hashem? Is because Hashem gets sanctified through it. So this whole process of creation and this whole idea is that we are trying to sanctify Hashem, and that was LeMan Shmo Bi'ahava, that we are trying to sanctify Hashem. All right, Melech Ozer So the king who is Melech, where we got Melech Ozer Moshe again. So is a king, is a Ozer Moshe U'Magay. So, Ozer means to help, that Hashem is a helper. Moshiach is a savior, which is a word we don't really use in uh, English unless you are, uh, a, you know, a fundamentalist Christian when we talk about a savior. Uh, um, again. So, the way they we understand this is that Melech, so the king who is, here, yeah, Ozer, who is aid. So, Hashem is Ozer. Helps us and influences us to do what we can do. That Hashem is in a support. Or and is a Savior. What is a Savior? That, that when man, at the point where you cannot help yourself. That is where a Savior comes. A Savior, so Superman saves, I think it's a little Timmy, who falls in the river. Is that Timmy can't save himself. So Superman is the Savior. Savior is that Hashem comes. Or Magain... So, Magain is a uh, is a shield. So, Magain David, we all know. Um, the illusory shield of David. I say illusory because to best of my knowledge, there is no history whatsoever that David had a shield shaped like the shield of David. But anyway. Umagain bifnei kopega Is that Hashem protects from things coming. So, whereas Moshiach? is when you're in trouble, Hashem gets you out. Magain is that Hashem prevents the trouble from coming. So we end off this this blessing by saying "Melech Magain." Baruch Hashem Magain Avraham. And so we've said that we've done Avraham We've mentioned all three of the Avot, and then we say Magain Avraham. That is Hashem is the again the shield of Avraham prevented it Avraham. Okay, so this this idea of Magain Avraham actually comes from a verse in uh, Pasha Lech Lecha. It says as follows. So just a little bit of context. So in the beginning of Pasha Lech Lecha, we we read of a war between four kings and five kings. And the battle takes place and the four kings defeat the five kings. And one of the casualties is they take uh, Lot, Avraham's nephew, prisoner. And Avraham uh, gets his, little, his soldiers together and they pursue and they get Lot back. In the aftermath, after that war, so the, the word of Hashem came to Avraham in a vision and said, don't be scared, Avraham. I will protect you. Your reward is very great. So when he says, Altiraf, I said, don't be afraid. It's a sign that Avram was afraid. So, why was Avram afraid? So, Rashi says as follows After Hashem had done this miracle to allow him to defeat the kings in battle, he killed these kings. Avram was scared and he said, Perhaps I have uh, used up all my reward. You know, um, I remember as a when I was early dating, and I have no doubt that many of you have been through something similar, and that is you'd go on a date and you would uh, uh, express affections for one another and then you'd go home and lie in bed and then you'd have a panic attack. Maybe they don't like me anymore. Um, I, I had that quite often. So here is a similar idea with Avram. Avram said, you know, Hashem says, don't worry Avram, I've got your back, I'll always be there for you. And Avram wages this war, apparently wins it in miraculous fashion and says, you know what? Maybe I've fallen out of favor. Maybe I've used up all my brownie points. You know, I did all, all the reward is going to get that all done. So it says, So therefore Hashem comes and says, don't worry about it. You, don't worry. I will protect you from Onish from any punishment. You won't get any, you won't suffer any consequences of the battle. Don't worry, you've got much more reward to come. Um, Okay, so what Avram is, uh, he's scared that maybe there's no more, maybe he's used up all his merits, comes Hashem and says, don't worry, you've still got merits. So why do we end my gain So this is the idea that like, uh, I I think is quite powerful. Is that, the idea is that when one of the unique things of Avram, and this is something unique not only in, uh, you know, in, in this particular story, but I think in general the Avram experience, is that the shield of Avraham is a shield who uh, Levit Hashem says you've got no one else to rely on but Hashem. Avram is vulnerable. He has incredible vulnerability in that he's, he's, he's thrown his lot in with Hashem. Havram's a loner. He He abandons. his from The first time we meet him is, Lech leave your family, leave, leave everything, go to land, I'll show you. He gets married and it's just the two of them for, you know, until he turns a hundred and he gets Yitzchak. It's a very lonely existence, preaching a, a value system that there are no buyers for. And, and, and there's peril and there's danger around. And there's this terrible, terrible fear. But you know what? You are never alone. When you have shem with you. It's so one of the beautiful ideas I heard from my uh, Rebbe, uh, David Shaw. He said that they uh, called Avraham, Avram Ivri. So the word, we call him Hebrew. Abram the Hebrews. The word Ivri or Ivrit. says says, uh, they call him Ivri because he was. That the word Aver can mean like a bank of a river on the one side of the river. So it says, Avraham was on one side and everybody else was on the other side. Avraham was really a loner. So Dave Shaw said to me, he said, Rabbi Shaw, he said, um, Avraham wasn't alone. He had Hashem with him. And I think that's true. I, th- no, I know that's true. And that's, that's the idea of my gain of rhyme, That the lonely man of faith, as Rav Soloveitchi calls uh, Avraham, the real lonely man of faith, has Hashem in his corner. So when we look at the whole first blessing, what are we trying to do? We are really creating this uh, understanding of who is Hashem? That we are about to direct our praise for. It is all full of praise of the qualities, the attributes, and the benefits that we have. That we have somebody who cares about us, someone who we take up space in his hard drive, someone who's who has um, who's not distant from us, despite his greatness and despite the fact that he runs the world and everything happens by by the word of Hashem. Nevertheless, everybody matters. And ultimately, Hashem has our best interests in heart. He's an ozer, he's a an mashiach, and he's a magain. That when everybody, every all is said and done, Hashem is with us. And what this first brach of the Amidah, so to recap from last week, the Amidah is we take three steps forward that we're standing in front of Hashem. And before we address Hashem, or in the beginning of our addressing of Hashem, it's understanding who Hashem is. Hashem is the personal God, but He's also the God of the entire universe. He's a God who cares about me, wants to help me succeed. He's given me everything I need. He's Ozeah, He's Moshiach, He's my gain. And even though I may be in reality all alone, I've always got Hashem in my corner. And that is who we are going to start praying to. And that's who we're going to ask for our what we need. And so that sums up the first blessing. So, this first blessing is taking us back to that Avrahamic experience, Avraham, Isaac, and Yaakov, in a world where Judaism could not be taken for granted. And it, they could not doven by rote because there was no rote to be governed. They were treading new, pla- new, new paths, blazing new paths. And that's what we try to get into the mindset. Then when you dove into Hashem, we're doing so in an attempt to have that relationship. That uh the Avot had. Alright, hope that is uh clear. That's um a little bit more esoteric than last week. But um to that end, I in invite everybody if you if anyone wants to unmute themselves and ask a question, by all means please do so. It's a little bit more confusing this week than normal, but I hope it made sense. Anyone going yeah. Who um, wrote, like, the um, configuration of Amida as we read it today? So, the Amidah is, is actually from, you can already see it from Talmudic times, you know, a large part of it. It was, it's, it was compiled by what's called the Anshay Knesset Agdola, the men of the Great Assembly, which is, from a timing point of view, is right at the beginning of the Second Temple period. So, men of the Great Assembly, people that we would know, Mordechai from uh, the Migrat Esther, um, Shmua Katan, um, who you mentioned in the in the Mishnah in the Mish- Mishn so it's we are talking you know early second Temple period where this is starting to become a text. It is an evolving text. So Avram never davened the Amidah, um, neither did Yoshua uh, or Yeremiah or any of these people. It is a it's a much more modern and and so much of our Sidur is it's a very it's an evolving it's a very living text. So, the Sidor, granted, it's been quite static for the last few hundred years. But definitely, uh, if you go five, six hundred years ago, the Shul service didn't look like what it looks like today. Same as the Haggadah of Pesach. So, the Haggadah is also an evolving, uh, evolving work. So, yeah. Any questions? All right, everybody. Layla Tov. Hope you have a wonderful... We'll have a shorter session tomorrow night. So, that for those who want to join the UIA talk. Um, This should be from 7.30. We'll go until about 7.55 to give us five minutes to get on to the other talk. Otherwise, I wish you all a pleasant evening. Layla Tov.